The more things change, the more they say the same. That's doubly true in the world of Indie Ball. Find out more on this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. Episode 259 of the Indie Bar Report podcast starts now. We're here with uh, a cheese connoisseur and uh, wherever the hell I am. How you doing? You're a cheese. We're off to a phenomenal start today. <laughs> I made myself laugh. That's what counts. <laughs> as long as you made somebody oh, laugh, then I guess hey, it was okay. Yeah, I'll be the first one today. I was working from home and just like saying things into the void slash to my not entertained wife. Uh, She's a saint. Uh, That or maybe she's just like used to working with crazy people. I mean, I was going to say it's been like nine years, I think to the day that we officially started dating. Like, dude, how patient. Oh, you think if you're listening to this, you're like, Ryan's a lot. Imagine. (laughs) I you have no idea. Pre- you know, before I thought I was stealing you from her, but I think she's just going to encourage these long recordings so that when she gets more of a break, kind of like it's almost like when you see a young mother and she's just like, take this child away from me for four hours because I can't. Yeah. Um, take. Yeah. I, I, uh, uh, man. Yeah. I remember that trial. Oh, were you not talking about Casey Anthony? <laughs> Hey, she was acquitted. Allegedly. Allegedly. Are we talking about Casey Anthony? Yeah. Um, she drove away in a Bronco and OJ smiled and nodded. Hey, man. Thumbs up. One way or another, if you get acquitted, you're going to Florida. Um, so, anywho, where are we? Uh, we're um, talking about OJ having some scores to settle, which might be the scariest Twitter live I've ever seen. Or are we talking about NJ having some scores to settle? Because I think that brings us to our first topic. Oh wow! What a wonderful oh, transition. I I hope I hope that means you have to keep the OJ talking now. <laughs> well, if the mic doesn't fit, I'll have to acquit. So we'll find uh, out. Ah, yes, we are gonna get in trouble. Anyway, what do you think Ford, of the New, New Jersey hiring? <laughs> yeah, so let's talk, let's talk about New Jersey and their manager hiring, as you just said. Uh oh, yeah. yeah, friend of the show got hired to this position. Love to How see about it. it. Bert Gonzalez, you are the manager of the New Jersey Jackals. Really happy for the dude. Earned the opportunity. Love to see it here. Uh, for those that are unaware, me and Will, you know, back when the show was good, interviewed him. Mm, and uh, <laughs> really nice guy. Guy's really into his work. Very appreciative of every opportunity he gets. So he's the kind of guy you root for to get opportunities like this, certainly. Go back and listen to that uh, interview. We'll link that in the show notes if you want to. Or you can just go to the website, go episodes, interviews, and it will be on that page. Just give it a second to load. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a little bit of background. Was a college coach at a couple of different programs from 2016 to 2020. A coach in technically now the Frontier and Atlantic League, but he was with Rockland for the main bulk of that time uh in various roles bullpen catcher first base coach third base coach bench coach that, those kinds of things uh a jamie keith guy if you would <laughs> and he also owns the indie ball job scouting organization a local to the new jersey area all in all uh he does kind of fit the bill here 
I'm interested to see what you think about it. This is his first time as a professional away from Jamie Keefe. So I'll be interested to see if that has any effect or if it's just kind of an interesting fact toward at the end. Um, because as we rated in our much maligned now uh, managerial rankings or ratings, we rated uh, Jamie very highly, although some people took offense to the way we ranked the Amish team, but we'll get to that later on. Okay, we will get to that later then. All right. Um, well, what do I think? I mean, I think it's a, a close to the best they could do, I would guess. Um, you're not going to get uh, into that situation. You're not going to get a traditional candidate. We kind of talked about that before. I, I think looking non-traditional, looking readily available because you need to do it quick, and looking responsible well-liked and well-connected, I think this fits the bill. I think this is, there were a lot of check boxes that required checking, and I think yeah. they've managed to do quite a good job of checking just about any, I mean, you'd love some more, for such a complicated spot, you might like some more hands-on actual managing experience, um, but he still has been around a lot of experienced guys and, and some good organizations and uh, some good coaches, I think. Yeah, I think it's a good move. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm fingers crossed for him. I hope this isn't a garbage fire. And if it is, I hope it's one of those things that reads, it's like, yeah, but what's he going to do? Because I don't want it to be... Uh, I compare some of these things to uh, last year um, for my NASCAR fans. Corey LaJoy, who is always rumored to be a guy who has top-level potential, but doesn't have top-level equipment, got a ride subbing for a guy in a top-level car, and he had a bad race. And the vibe is kind of like, well, that's done now. Like that, he probably he might not get another shot. I prefer it to be one of those things where hopefully this is a role where if it does go a little sideways, it doesn't go well. Everyone's like, well, you know, not an ideal situation. It's okay. Instead of being like, well, that didn't go well. We don't need to, you know, try that again. Because I think Bert's a good dude. I think he's one that is well liked and people would like to see. He's a good guy within this baseball circle that we find ourselves in. I think uh, it would be great to see him not only get this opportunity, but make sure he gets a fair opportunity out of this whole thing. I echo all of that except for the NASCAR bit because I can't endorse uh, Zoom Zoom racing. Uh, that just doesn't move the needle here at all. Uh, but more to the point, yeah, no, I agree. I don't want to see Bert wind up as like the sacrificial lamb in this situation because I do think he has the potential to be a good manager. I, I definitely get that sense here, but this is not an easy position. We've talked about it before once Bobby was, you know, departed from the organization. But this mm -hmm. is not the most enviable job to have on earth. Um, yeah, so that, that is something to, to watch for. I will say, I think he is well equipped. If for no other reason, likes it, really nice guy. Everyone seems to like him. So that'll help bring some guys in here. He also has the uh, the scouting work that he runs. Admittedly, it's still fairly new. It's still getting off the ground and really trying to move some bodies along here. But that does at least give you a connection and more of a pipeline to bring some guys in, even if they're not really up to the standard that you're hoping for. You know, if you need to fill out a roster, it's one way to fill out a roster, right? And, I mean, you'd rather go to war with 26 guys than 20 guys. So it is what it is there. But also being now just off of a Atlantic Lake staff, I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward to say if High Point's going to release a guy, they're going to be going to New Jersey if, uh, if they have any sort of value whatsoever. So that's going to be at least a useful tidbit as well. And like I said, I think, I don't know if I actually said it before this, but 
I like it from the perspective of you're trying to change the culture and perception of the organization. And part of that starts with the manager, right? Mm-hmm. That is one of your outward fan facing positions is a manager position. Cause you know, they're going to be there. You know, you can have them around for 12 months of the year. You know, they're going to be one of the guys going to the community as well as building the roster, obviously. But He's the kind of guy that when he interacts with local fans, when he interacts with people at the ballpark, when he's interacting with just, you know, the general populace, you're going to come away and have a positive perception of. And changing the perception of the organization to the public is one of the key things here. Now, obviously, there's a lot of other things going on with Hinchcliffe, with Patterson, with the whole situation. Uh, We're not going to ignore that. But we've also hammered that pretty hard in the past. Yeah. but changing the perception with the actual people showing up and with the people that see the organ, like, ah, I'm not doing that. Ah, they haven't really wowed me so far. If you can leave them with a positive outlook, that helps a lot. And I think he is a decent point part of that. Yeah. And, and he's a guy that has a track record of being for the guys on the team. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's in the situation and literally his whole thing has been getting guys signed to other places. So he's, you know, you can be comfortable. It's the way it's going for um, PJ, who PJ Phillips, who managed last season, he has a reputation for he's generally pretty much for the guys on the team. He'll, you know, give good opportunities, try to not leave guys in a bad spot. Um, it sounds like not always being empowered by the organization last year and given what he would need to do that. That's just been the rumor. Um, but I I would say this year it's a good start to have another guy who seems to put players you know as a priority, and hopefully he will have what he needs with the owner and with the new GM to you know actually follow through on everything. Um, it, it the thing that actually stuck out to me was it, I mean I know PJ PJ is not the biggest give me the mic type of guy. <laughs> he's you know he's not the he's a dugout locker like clubhouse guy like he's he's for the baseball and that's great when that's what you want but if you want you know an out in front of everything doing the you know marketing side for you and all that you know it's not really the guy i mean bert knows how to brand bert mm-hmm. knows how to be out and be the voice of something um it'll be interesting to see if they utilize that and if they do i think it could be a really good fit also um it also occurs to me that we've spoken before about the demographics of the town of Patterson and mm. the ownership has spoken previously about wishing they lean harder into the Latin Hispanic community there having, you know, it, first of all, not only Bert with his personality and his willingness to go out and talk to people and meet people, but I mean, it, it sounds dumb. This is the one I, I, I've been trouble, having trouble sort of nailing down, but like having a manager like Gonzalez, like it says it yeah. right there. Like that is, a name where like a lot of people in the community be like, all right, like that's a name. Yeah, there's a connection that, that feels like a name that would live on my street. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. It, it's that is that connects with people. It's like, okay, so this is an organization that maybe last year was like, what the hell are we doing out here? Like what they are wondering as people of the town of Patterson, like <laughs> were you just squatting in our stadium to be like more, or right, maybe I see myself more within this organization combined with, you know, hopefully the organization doing the right things in the community that they talked about realizing openly that they should be doing, uh, that would be my hope that this is part of a bigger thing. And they don't just be like, here's Burke Gonzalez. Good luck. Which I don't think they will. 
for the record. Yeah. I don't think that's the move, but I, yeah. I'm hoping that this is the trend that is, I, I'm hoping I'm correct in seeing this trend start. Yeah, I will say this much. From this organ, from the new people in the organization, say Hunt and now bringing Bert, there are positive steps here. There's smaller steps, but they're positive steps in the right direction, which is, mm-hmm. at the very least, a nice change of pace to see from doing things just completely wrong in the past. I also kind of like, and this is a really, really minor thing, but I really did like how I got the teamwork notification saying the position was filled, which I kind of hug that. It's like, oh, cool. At least I'm not out in the wind. I appreciate that. But I knew I wasn't getting that job anyway. I was just doing it for shits and gigs. But, you know, even still, if you were legitimately applying for that, it must be nice to get that. No idea. But I will say the... Uh, I think it's not that his challenge he was walking into was easy, but it is getting more difficult. We we mentioned previously that there was rumored to be a bunch of transactions right around, um, you know, Bobby leaving and possibly involving PJ, you know, getting some of his guys back essentially Um, since the 14th. So within the last 10 days, as this podcast is released uh, after a pretty quiet off season, I mean, they didn't really have much direction here. Um, New Jersey traded Rusbera Estrada, Tequan Forbes, and Lance Lusk to Charleston. Uh, those are three guys. I like all of them. I'm not as comfortable with them going to the Atlantic League, but for the just speaking to New Jersey situation, that is a loss, certainly. Yeah. Also released Dylan Castaneda. They've released Willie Garcia, They and he has since been uh, signed by the Dirty Birds. They also okay. released Matt Vogel. Uh, in addition to That's that, they traded Braylon Jones to Ottawa. For future considerations, released uh, infielder Martin Figueroa and released Justin Walter. Then they, what else do we got? They released Alex Toral and they traded John Baker to Chicago. Now, with they also had another release today, too. That's right. Yeah, I haven't gotten that one right. Good call. Um, With that said, a lot of the trades that have happened have been, I mean, the Atlantic League trades were for players to be named later. So we are getting. It, Bert, on the positive side, is showing up with multiple player-to-be-named-later deals open where he can get start calling back pieces. So he has some movement there. He's not just out on an island. Dude, did you... I will say one thing. I, I don't mean to interrupt the point here, but... Go for it. Go to the Frontier League page, look for February 22nd, like a Schomburg's move. Like who they just got. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Paul Cook, Schomburg. Yeah. I know. That's nice. I mean... It's good to see Schomburg making moves, but like Schomburg kind of flies. I, they're they're weird. I don't know what to make of Schomburg. <laughs> I never. That's going to be a future a future conversation. Is Ryan does not know what to make of Schomburg ever, um, and that is essentially where I'm at. But it, it's good to see them moving. It's good to see uh, another good lefty pitcher finding their way into any ball, especially a guy, you know, who see who has a good track record. Who knows? Yeah. He might end up back in Mexico quick, but we'll see. Yeah, Very good pitcher. I mean, filthy last year filthy both years in the frontier i mean yeah he's a good player but yeah to more yeah, also, less- by the way a good example of you know everybody take pioneer league stats with a grain of salt because he did not do great in like a short stint with missoula he was good not great wouldn't have hinted that he's going to go sub two five two seasons later with frontier league teams so just I mean, to shout that out in the fairness too if you look at his 2019 coming out of bradley in his uh, 20 innings in southern illinois Hey, a Mike Pinto guy. Uh, 3.92, so that's pretty yeah. solid. 
there was a track record, but there's been a couple guys like that. Um, I, I, I've been deep in the transactions the past few days, except for uh, since apparently the Frontier League last updated there. So I'll let that go. Um, but yeah, yeah no, I see what you're saying. Rebuilding a roster there and losing some of the key pieces there. And it's been a lot of subtraction, that addition from New Jersey so far. So it's going to be to see who becomes that addition. Yeah. And it's been, it's good to see, you know, I don't know. It, it's good to see that at least as these trades are happening, they are for player to be named labor deals. Cause again, even though it might be like, Oh, they even getting back in reality, it, why would they put somebody on there when they're, you know, it's going to have a manager now who has to make a decision about whether that is even a guy he wants around. So yeah, I, there are positives. I want to make sure it's clear. There are some positives to the deals happening and, and most of those deals happen to get guys somewhere where they want it to be, which I'm always going to be supportive of. Last point, New Jersey, before we move on to the other managerial bit, which I think is a little bit more uh, spicy. Uh, mm-hmm. Do we think J.R.D. Sarcina makes his way down to New Jersey? Guy that Bert's familiar with? Mm-hmm. Guy that's familiar with um, the frontier? Obviously, I don't think New England's really in a position to part with him, but depending on the offer, I could see it. Or if J.R.'s just like, look, I'd rather be with the dude I know. Jared Sarcina, who happy birthday, Jared Sarcina. Oh, um, how about that? Yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, he's a confusing option to me. I think hmm, it's one of those interesting ones because he is from New England. That is part of it. Oh, okay. So I don't know if he's hungry to leave, even if he has familiarity down in Jersey. If nothing else, it's good to know that if he struggles out of the box, he probably has a backup option. And I really, and talk about just wanting things that are good for players, Jr deserves an opportunity and like a good solid opportunity uh in indie ball because he it's not that he hasn't had opportunities in the past but it is there's always a bit of an asterisk on it like he he was uh he showed up well in high point represented himself well and then he went to lincoln which is a tough setup and he struggled a little bit and then he from there it's just been kind of fighting uphill battle last year he toughed out the whole season with empire state um i mean i, I want him to have a good year and if he's going to sink or swim, I want to be on his own, not sort of aided yeah. by outside circumstance. Hmm. Oh, we will see. We'll see how that Jackal roster turns out. 76 days until opening day. So, God, that's so little yeah. time to build a roster. But yeah, two months. The, guy from the indie ball jobs connection. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying, man. That's why I like having that kind of guy in there. Because yeah. as I was saying, would you rather go to war with... Uh, Half empty uh, clip, or would you rather at least have a full clip, even if it's not the caliber you want? As always, I'd rather go to war with. Nope, I can't say it. That's a war crime. That's right. Never mind. Okay, moving on. Chicago. Leave it in the pod. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk Chicago, my guy. Interesting. Yeah, so the dogs announced their coaching staff for the 2024 season. Uh, we mentioned when we did that. Uh, the review or the grading on all the managers that Butch Hobson was a guy that we were 50-50 on, had heard that maybe he wouldn't be coming back. We didn't go too much into it because we didn't have too much at the time, but now that looks to be confirmed because he is not back. In fact, the only returning man is Stu Clyburn, who's going to return for his fourth season as pitching coach. Uh, Thomas Incavilia, yes, the one that is the nephew of Pete. So Chicago versus Cleveland, a little spicy now, kind of like that. Um, Will join as the hitting coach. He's also spent the last three years in Tri-City with Pete as the bench coach, and he also managed the Palm Springs team in the California Winter League. 
And of course, then we have a new manager as well. Jeff Isom is going to be the new manager of the team. He has 19 years of experience from 2000 to 2018. 13 of those years are in Indy Ball, 11 in the Frontier, 2 in the Northern, 6 of those years in the Brewers organization, 3 in Single A, 2 in Rookie Ball, 1 in High A. His overall record across just a shade over 1,900 games is 948 and 962. However, you just look at Indie Ball games, he is 621 and 583 in just over 1,200 games. Uh, Butch Hobson and Joe Dominic are, are both dismissed as of now. Overall thoughts on Isom being hired as well as Incavelia coming in and then I guess Clyburn staying here. Well, my first thought is, and this is not the most pertinent thought, is it's somewhat funny to see what some would call, like, quote, the other Clyburn and Incavelia on the same <laughs> coaching staff with what some might call the other Chicago baseball team. Um, kind of a we vibe. Have, I'm not saying that as an insult, by the way. I'm saying yeah. that as like kind of a line. It is a little bit of uh, we have Incavelia and Clyburn at home, the Incavelia and Clyburn you have at home. Ouch, that sounds worse, but yeah, okay. Um, I mean, that's basically what you just said. I mean, hey, if you want to put words in my mouth, you can go ahead and do that. Um, okay, just remember your podcast. <laughs> but getting back to it, okay. Hobson has not been well. It's, you know, a season at this level is so long. I know it's only 100 games, but think about only 100 games. Good Lord. Um, you figure that's going to be a lot of bus rides, a lot of hotel stays, a lot of long days in the sun. So, it makes sense that they had to make a decision. Um, they went to an experienced guy from an experienced guy, which I think is good. I think it, we see a lot of bad handoffs when it comes to an experienced guy leaving, giving it to an inexperienced guy, and the people who are there and have come to not expect necessarily the way things are done, but at least the way things are handled by someone with experience. Sometimes that handoff is ugly. Yeah. I think that is something they've avoided. However, I don't know. I'm not as familiar with the dynamics of Chicago because I really started covering the whole American Association as well right before this year where he was gone for so much of it. So I, I do have some hard time reading that if I'm being transparent. I don't know. I, I'm, I, I mean, not to change the subject fully, but I am hung up in what this means compared to the Josh Altman just getting traded. Yeah. I, it's hard to think they're not related and it's hard to not read into it. So that kind of, it's funny. I felt good. I felt good. I was like, you know what? It's kind of a funny grouping, it, but it does seem like an experienced group of coaches. You got some familiar faces, some people who can sort of smooth the transition, some experience there that guys can buy into. I think it's, I think we're good. And then the Josh Altman trade happens. I'm like, well, maybe something's, you know, maybe not all is as good as I'm hoping. And, and that's tough for everybody because I think this league is better when Chicago is good, by the way. I think having the sort of anchor point of that Chicago market be a competitive team is good. And, and I think the whole league benefits from that. So um, I, I'm not in a non-biased way. I, I do root for Chicago. So I'm hoping this is good and I'm hoping my initial read's right. But now yeah. it's kind of, that's where you catch me kind of, uh, well, the Chicago Milwaukee rivalry is, is nice too. Agreed. Yeah. And they need that uh, really to, I mean, to give balance to this league, honestly, uh, they need that strong sort of anchor point in the north, um, especially when Kansas City is doing what Kansas City does down the south. Yeah, it definitely is. And I mean, I echo a lot of that. I think it is 
a bit curious the time where Altman gets traded. Something that, you know, we hear about Butch departing from the team a couple days ago, and then immediately this deal comes through. Now, it could have been in the works for a while. I mean, the trade was Altman for Voigt. Those are two good players switching sides. And, I mean, a guy that has a sub-4 ERA in Lake Country is no small feat. And Voigt does have a bit of a track record of being a very successful pitcher. There's no doubt about that. But Josh Altman is a perennial MVP candidate. Right. He is probably... Josh Altman's, I would say, a Hall of Famer for that league, if we were to talk about it in that way. Yeah. I mean, if he's not the best shortstop in the league, he's not far off from it. Mm Mm-hmm. So when you have a guy like that, a guy that has the ability to hit 300 and hit 30 home runs in 100 games, that's a to to trade that piece willingly makes zero sense. There has yeah. to be more to it because that's not the kind of production you're going to replace. So unless it was a money issue or a roster restriction issue, you have to think that it comes back to what was brought in. Now, maybe it was more like, oh, I, I wanted to work with Dominique or I wanted to work with Hobson and now they're not here, so I might as well move on. Maybe it was something like that. I think it was probably more in line with something like that than it was, I don't want to work with Isom. I, I'd be stunned if it was something like that. As far as replacing experience for experience, Isom is probably the most experienced guy you will get at this point, right? We just talked about with Bert how the clock's running down. You got about 76 days until opening day. Dogs are about the same. I think they're a little bit close to 80, but even still, four days doesn't really make that huge of a difference when you're establishing a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, circumstances are obviously different, though, but even still... <laughs> It's a lot of work to do in a short period of time. And like, I like the staff. I think it's very good. And if you would have told me in like December, that was the decision. I would probably have a different reaction than having it in the end of February. But it does feel like something's amiss here. And I heard rumors of the way Hobson was dismissed and it just wasn't right. It wasn't professional the way that went down. Again, I will stress that's a rumor, not definitive. I heard it from like two people, so take that from what it's worth. The way I heard it went down was not great, so that's not wonderful. I mean, you can't release someone via text. That's just not right. But even still, but... Because I'm going to do a light walk back on Altman claim as a Hall of Fame, potential Hall of Fame American Association guy. I meant, I in my head he played probably four full seasons. I was seeing con, that Consolation League thing he did. Yeah, so I'll say, three, he puts up three years closer to like the way the, his two good years have been. Now he's putting together the case. He's on pace to be a potential like type of like all-time top shortstop in the league type of numbers if he can keep it going for like another few years. That's it. That's all I'm saying. He's on pace to have a shot. Not saying he's like if you stop playing today, he would be. I'm not saying that before you jumped down my throat. People who I know will. Continuing, Nick, where were you? Yeah, so I would say more or less like I don't have a problem with the people they hired. I don't think they're going to do a bad job. I think they're going to do actually a pretty good job. Uh, Stu is a quality pitching coach. Jeff is a quality manager. And I'm interested to see what Tom can do there now that he has more of a formal role, more of a established role. 
I'm just going to be curious the more and more of this comes out in the wash of how it went down, what the situation winds up being. And that's really where my concern is or where my gripe would be is if how I heard it went, if that's actually how it went down, then I don't like that at all. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, that's not the full story, which I wouldn't be surprised if we were missing details, then my opinion can change on it. It's just I have, I have such a hard time forming an opinion on it because I like the people that were brought in. And I understand Bush may not be physically able to do the job anymore, but it just feels like if you're going to move on from him, the time was A, earlier in the offseason, and B, it should have been a bit more of a fanfare type of thing. And I have to think that a guy that was there for how many years in Chicago would have warranted at least a thank you post. And it feels like it's definitely not a retirement but rather a firing because mm-hmm. if it was a retirement, then it would have been congrats on a great career. You would have seen also like an American association post from it. You would have seen a lot from it and we just didn't get that. Yeah. I actually didn't really notice. Um, yeah. Do they really not do any sort of. Post- There's nothing. Wow. Okay. Even wow. in the, even the store, like if you go to the, link that I sent you, which will be in the show notes. That's what happens when you go to the dog's homepage and click the story. It just brings you right to the coaching staff page. Hmm. Not even like a news article, really. Huh? No, Interesting. they may have updated it since, but like checking again now, it just redirects you right to the coaching staff page. Yeah. Shout out to General MacArthur officially coming back to Chicago. Anyway. Um, 80 grade name. I know. So much better than specific MacArthur. Yeah. Um, let me see. All right. That's fascinating. Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. Maybe we'll follow up on that one again. Yeah, it, it feels like there's something off there. That's all mm-hmm. I'm going to say. But, uh, moving on from Chicago, uh, we got a couple of little big cleanup bits and news, and then we'll get to our interview with Brady Salisbury. Really good interview. Had a lot of fun with it. Not the most structured, but honestly, That's I feel like it was better this way. Yeah, but, any case, uh, we have the first ever professional trial camp in continental Europe. Quebec and Trois-Rivières will host a trial camp next month in Rouen, France. The camp is on March 30th and 31st. Both teams will invite at least one player to their spring training. This is the first evaluation camp in Europe by a North American professional team. So, wonder who has game to for travel on that. <laughs> if they bring you out or you have to pay for travel that's what I'm curious about I can't imagine they're going to be responsible for getting there themselves I don't think they're going to pay for your travel I mean I'm just saying if you sign a player typically you pay for the travel of the team interesting these are the things I think about anyway have I been am I too inundated in the baseball operations conversation when that's my first list I wonder who pays for the travel if they sign a guy from over there um, oh man yeah I don't have a ton to say on it. I like it. I'm always in favor of, you know, expanding, um, you know, internationally, uh, you know, German last name. You think I'd be very much about expanding across Europe as they tend to do. That's not necessarily where my head is, but I do think it's good to expand the game. Um, he went there. Okay. I did. 
um, I've been impressed with the international baseball I've watched lately, especially in Europe. Um, it's, I think over the past decade, they've made a larger improvement than any other continent. Now that's not to say a lot. I mean, America, the North America obviously has already had a high talent, talent level. Um, same with Asia and, you know, Australia has already had sort of a league going, but I have been impressed with some of the countries in France specifically who have all of a sudden shown up and really developed. I know there's a lot of attention world baseball classic on the Czechs and how they had really developed from the ground up a baseball system over there. And I think that's really cool. And I think it's good to see them rewarded. So I think, man, and I think it's also important to extend further information about indie ball into Europe for a lot of these guys who are like, you know, maybe they're thinking that their path into baseball is, Hey, like I need to get, into affiliate ball, how can I get someone from the Yankees to notice me? When really, maybe it's get noticed by these guys, and then you're playing a whole different, you know, situation out where you're in a much better spot to get seen by somebody who maybe can get you into affiliate ball if that's your goal as a European player. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like the the growth of it, and obviously having the French teams do the the France clinic makes the most sense there. Oh, uh-huh. but. Yeah, I also think it's kind of good for growing the brand a little bit because I could definitely see this being an appeal, you know. So mm-hmm. I will say too, I'm looking at like flights from uh, Rouen to Quebec City. Mm-hmm. This isn't cheap. It's like nine hundred dollars. No, but I'm trying to get back and forth to Europe this year. It's it's a rough one. Yeah. Well, actually, there's a two hundred and eighty four dollar flight on March thirteenth. Obviously, that doesn't help for this clinic, but um, go over early. Yo, it's a nonstop flight to. I mean, you're there. Yeah, you fly from the call right bet. to uh, right into yeah. uh, Lagarde. Yeah, I was gonna say you got to go Paris, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, not much else on that one, but thought There's I'd mention a couple it. of cheaper flights. Actually, looking at this now, they don't have the. <laughs> when is their training camp? By the way, just quickly. March thirty thirty first. No, no, I meant like the spring training camp. Like, oh. I got to say, it's got to be early May, probably around sort of May. Okay. Okay, so it's going to cost about $800 to fly whoever the hell is out here. I mean, that could be a good investment as things turn out. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, Pioneer early draft we have here. I don't think we have too much to talk about here with these guys. I know we were hyping up a little bit, but I don't think there's too much here. Yeah, honestly, I was going to do a deep dive into it. My deep dive turned up. It needs to be a deeper dive. Because a lot of these guys, it's, I mean, we have a handful that didn't seem to have a baseball reference page, so it's going to be tough. But uh, I would say, here, I can pull up the full thing again, my bad. Um, yeah, I mean, Galen Rutledge, he was the top pick. He went to Boise. I, I found it interesting that the early picks were not pitchers, because we hear a lot mm-hmm. about how the it's pretty thin as far as pitching goes. But I, I suspect, and there were more pitchers picked up on the back end. But you know, you just yeah. you figure it's if for the. Uh, I feel like a lot of these routes, it tends to be they pick the best available guy. It's not like trying to fill a specific niche. Yeah, and it's found it money. Interesting. Yeah, it was interesting to see that uh, the first four picks: Galen Rutledge with Boise, Zach Lee with Rocky Mountain, uh, Terrell Frazier for Idaho Falls, and then Frank Podkul for Great Falls were all on the the you know side of position players, which is it. I do think less pitchers, and this has always been the case, less pitchers are at these uh, tryouts or showcases, whatever you want to refer to them. So I I just got to figure it's just exacerbated more than ever at at this point. But uh, I do think also there's 
a high percentage of these guys that do get picked up. I mean, if a guy shows you anything on the mound, he's probably getting grabbed because who knows where you can make him. Um, I, I did find the one, I'm going to do the background on it right now, which I should have done, but I wasn't paying attention at the time. Um, the one that I was interested in is, wasn't there a McCurdy? There was, yeah. Yeah. Or this is the same one. Wow, it's the same one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carson McCurdy, Glacier Outfield. Really? That is interesting. I don't. That's that's quite a a path. That's unusual. Making appearances in the Atlantic League twice uh, in two years and then disappearing and then come back into the Pioneer League draft is a fascinating situation. I mean, he's had enough to show up on a few rosters over time. He has definitely struggled, but he's one where he's been out for a year. It, maybe he's got something to turn that around. So he's something to keep an eye on. Um, that was really, it's so fun. It, it's, I hate to just pick out a name who was literally the second last pick in the draft, but that was kind of mostly what grabbed me. Um, I think Galen Rutledge from what I've seen, seemed like an interesting guy. I wish I had more information. These guys are going to come up more. I, I didn't want to waste a lot of time, both researching and talking about on the podcast for a lot of guys, I feel like might not make it out of camp for a lot of these teams. So I kind of have some information. We can kind of deep dive back again once we know what rosters these guys are bringing. But like, uh, yeah, I don't want to short them. I'm very conscious of that, especially with anything that Pioneer League is involved with. I, I just, like, the top pick in the draft hasn't played anything since, like, playing the SWAC in 2022. So it's just, a, like, just a little tough. I mean, he put up numbers in summer ball, but that's kind of it. So that's what I'm dealing with. That was an example uh, of why. If, if you ever wonder why sometimes we don't dive as deep into things, it's just because we're not sure what to say. We don't want to waste your time as well as ours deep diving into something that might become nothing. So what we'll say is this. I got them tagged. I'm going to keep an eye on them as they get dropped or if they get picked back up or if they stay on a roster and they make it through camp. And we'll go from there. In other words, it turns out a lot of these guys stay, by the way. You can bet we'll be deep diving in a lot more aggressively at next year's Florida draft. In other words, wait until we get to the uh, Pioneer League preview in May. And then if they're still around, we'll get more to it. So far away. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Well, Well, not really. It's almost March. Oh, God. Don't remind me. Yeah. Next time we record, it'll be March. Horrors. I hate it. But Doom will be out, so that's good. Any case. Happy and happy. Uh, last couple pieces of news real quick, and then we will get to the interview. Uh, the birdcage has a new name. The building remote will remain the birdcage. However, the field will have the naming rights given to Smith Field Foods. So I presume it will be Smith Field Foods Field at the birdcage. Uh, Smith Field owns a local factory in Sioux Falls that apparently employs a large percentage of people. Any immediate thoughts on this? Um, on Twitter, you said you were going to go out. No, I do. I mean, yeah. Um, so think about how to go about this. I mean, I do think technically speaking, it's going to be the John Morrell Sioux Falls facility that I think it's the, it'll be Smithfield Fields food at the bird cage at John Morrell Sioux Falls facility. Um, something like that. Maybe it's not officially named the John Morrell thing anymore, but that's at least where I had it on paper. Um, Look, I hey, it's an it's a local employer, so sure, buy into the community, fine, cool, cool. cool, cool so cool, I don't know cool. the Sioux Falls relationship with Smithfield. I know the relationship of a lot of towns in Appalachia, 
and throughout the Midwest and even further out West and the South and just about anywhere else with Smithfield and uh, okay. First it's, they need to have a name on the stadium. So it's good. It's good. They have a sponsor hooked up somewhere. That's smart. Um, that is a major source of money. We're talking about six figures. That's Get a big bag. Thing. Yes. Need it. Need it for the health of any ball. You need your team to make the damn money. Um, Why don't that's good. Checks. Also love. They kept the birdcage. I think that's sick. I think that's a cool name. I love okay. teams having a stadium that isn't necessarily just sponsored. It has like a cool name that relates to their thing. Very cool. Very rare. Yep. Um, on the other side, yes. You know, this is a baseball podcast, so I'm going to keep it baseball. Am I going to talk about you know certain things? Not always. Am I going to talk about the fact that like Smithfield is a sketchy company that's taken over small farms and smaller operations and uh, distribution and production channels for years, and then sold out to a Chinese company that has continued that process over the last ten years? Um, I don't know. Probably not. Am I going to talk about how like terrible? terrible and well-documented conditions for these animals would like even make you know the most steadfast uh, red-blooded american conserve veganism with uh what's been reported in countless places and countless legal actions you know no or the fact they were a company that's bad for people animals and the entire country uh i'm not going to talk about that because it's a baseball podcast what about the environment uh, i don't really know about the environment uh we're going to kill each other before the environment kills us but that's a different conversation um but i mean hey it's good for the organization um do i hate smithfield foods yes i do um i'm glad that there are still jobs that are held up by smithfield um the damage they've done to the farming industry is probably irreparable but whatever um you know i hope that this is a waste of money for smithfield and um you know i'm glad that it is something that benefits the canaries i hope smithfield never really notices that's a waste of money necessarily. And I hope they continue to benefit as an organization without necessarily benefiting um, our pork-wielding overlords. Um, there are 18 comments on Facebook. Only about half of those remain viewable, which I find interesting. All of those uh, are positive. Always noteworthy. So to recap today, we've discussed war crimes, extensive criminal records, potential arson, and, and that's now, just like the last year of my life. And now we're also talking about uh, the industrial farming uh, complex. Yes. Yes, we are. Very productive episode. Uh, NoCo <laughs> renamed their stadium, too. Oh, man. So they now play a Four Rivers Equipment Stadium. It's a multi-year agreement. That's all there really is to that. Don't have much to it. I think it's a solid name. Honestly, I like it more than the previous name. Don't like Future Legends Field? Yeah, that was weird. Okay, good. So more farming with the equipment. So that's fine. I don't have any beef with them. I don't have any beef or pork with them. You don't want to see how the sausage is made with them? (laughs) Nice. I'm happy for you. We talked to the general manager of the Gastonia Pro Baseball team, Brady Salisbury, today. Very informative. Very fun. It was. Had, yes, it was. Had a good back and forth there. Um, the Kentucky kid is something else. And uh, yeah, do we have any other preview to uh, get in on that or just let it run? Um, a lot of people probably checking in will want to hear about what it was like behind the scenes as the, uh, the Gastonia, well, the prior Gastonia ownership sort of spiraled out of control. Um, I will say we didn't talk too much about it. He is, that's still ongoing legal nonsense so there was sort of it's difficult to have him on the spot with a lot of that and on the record with a lot of it 
Um, we've done several podcasts on it in the past. If you want more details on it, a lot of the sourcing, a lot of the things that he could tell us are going to be similar to what I was able to tell people based on sourcing. That was really close to stuff uh, involved there. So don't, uh, I, I hope you don't go in just looking for that. We did talk a lot about how he had a, a very key role in the turnaround of an organization that finished their first season in the league last and then has since then been at the top of the league and last year finished one game away from raising a championship trophy in the Atlantic League. So uh, that is basically, you know, starting that turnaround started. Uh, sounds like the day that Brady came to Gastonia. So that was a lot of our conversation. So if you would like to scratch the itch for Gastonia ownership drama, we have talked about in the past, and we sh- probably will talk about it more as the legal stuff gets sold out. But for now, a lot of baseball talk in this one, which is refreshing when it comes to Gastonia. I think they deserve it. Definitely. So, uh, without further ado, here's our interview with the general manager of the Gastonia Pro Baseball team, Ray Salisbury. Now that we're recording the interview, welcoming to the pod, Brady Salisbury, who, among other things, took last place Gastonia Honey Hunters the first ever taken over for baseball operations. Now he's baseball operations for what we will call the Gastonia baseball club question mark with some exciting news there maybe on the radar we'll see i'm looking at his face as i say it to see if he gives anything away he has not because he is rock solid and that's why we're so excited to have him as a guest brady Salisbury, welcome to the party thank you guys for having me no there's no question marks do not get us confused with frederick so it's just Gastonia baseball club that wasn't even where I was going with that. Good memory, though. I guess it's hard to erase the jerseys from your mind, though. The Spire City thing was cool, but boy, those question marks stand out. It was it was something. I, I think they did a really good job rebranding, though. I think the logo and the uniform and everything, I think they did well. It. I mean, I recently saw the sort of uh, – there's one guy, and I, I always forget which account it is because I, I follow a few minor league logo accounts, which I think says something about me. But, yeah, they there was a whole collection of all the in the past year brand reveals. I was like, dang, like. Spire City might be the best one. They were pretty good. So, yeah. hey, Gastonia's got to follow in his footsteps now, though. Atlantic League has a bit of a track record of late, so here we go. Yeah, yeah no, I, if you uh, you know checked out the podcast or the presentation, I guess, we had the, the press conference, um, kind of the plan is to do six what-if type weekends. You know, if you're a Marvel fan, the what-if is kind of the thing we're going for there, so we're pretty excited about that, and I think uh, – you know, one of the cool things about the new ownership group is they're actually trying to invest and get the community engagement going. So I think by them actually choosing our name, that's a pretty easy way of making that happen. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to get it right away. I know there was some people, the, the name was good, but I know some people thought they weren't really involved in the decision making. So getting the community involved right away is probably smart. Now, Nick, I don't know where your head's at here. I figure since there's been so much off the field action related to Gastonia. We might as well start there. And then I will indulge in the on the field side, which you know, I'm eventually going to do because I have no self-control. Does that sound reasonable to you? It is your podcast. It does sound pretty reasonable to me. And although it is my podcast, I'm sure at some point we're going to get into the heathen math of analytics. And at that point I will do my absolute best to not check out, but we all know how the last uh, couple analytic episodes went. So we'll see what happens from there. Just gets real quiet. Start forgetting who if he's still on. Do we lose him? Yeah, that's about right. You'll well, just see I mean, me in the middle. Yeah, you'll just see me in the middle. I'll be making a dentist appointment. Go. Yep, they're talking analytics. I imagine getting these teeth pulled will be less painful. Yes. At what point Frankly, do you tell adapter die? And when, when do we get to throw that segment in there from from Moneyball? 
Right. Yeah. I mean. Oh, don't start me with the Moneyball ramp because that <laughs> movie just completely ignored Miguel Tejada. Uh, I agree. They and an entire certain rotation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Number they five, def- started harangue. No, I I agree. Watching that movie now compared to like growing up watching that movie is two yeah. totally different things. But yeah. still, it's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Well, honestly, you pointing out that you watched it while quote growing up kind of ruins what I was about to point out, which was like guys of our age. I'm just impressed that Nick's out here making his own dentist appointments. Honestly, I'm like waiting until there's a damn emergency, dude. But hey, I, I don't know. Nick is a more <laughs> impressive adult than I had thought. This is a terrible podcast. Thanks for coming on, Brady. Um, Nick, <laughs> do you want to start out? Do you have anything you want to get to first before we roll the dice and see where I end up? You're normally the one that does the intro, does the whole start of it, but, you know. Roll the dice. Roll the dice. That's what we're going to do because already. Hell yeah. I'm curious just to see where this goes. Well, I mean, I, I can, I'm sure I can focus it. So, Brady, I mean, I joked about it at one point in the unrecorded <laughs> intro i went with um you know there are obviously some things that you you were not going to be you know willing or honestly able to say about the last year of drama around gastonia and the switch from the old ownership to the new ownership but uh, i know it, you have a very unique experience of seeing both you know the <laughs> the an old owner uh going out in less than spectacular fashion and a new owner coming in and sort of taking on that new role usually the the handoff involves not a lot of people coming back to the front office. So having seen that, uh, what is something that stands out f- for you that the people of Gastonia can look forward to the fans? Cause that's someone who I I've talked about. I had the privilege of you know, being, you know, so many of them are reporting on all of this. Uh, and it's a fan group that I hate, hate to admit. I really am rooting for because I don't like to root for, for people. I'm a schadenfreude guy. And now there's a whole city of people that I somewhat now know that I really am interested in them having you know good years and an enjoyable product. So uh, first and foremost, I want to hear you know what it is that they have to look forward to as you've gotten to know and get gotten to work with this new ownership group. Yeah, well, first of all, I'd like to say I think you guys did a pretty good job of reporting a lot of what was going on. You know, just I mean, looking at the last year, but really even the last two years. I think there was a lot of warning signs for people. Obviously, I can't you know talk too much about it, but as far as the new owner group, ownership group, which I'm really excited about, um, it's, it's already a night and day difference. I mean, in indie ball especially, you really only have your word, and you know so far a lot of what we've been promised up to this point has already been starting getting fulfilled. And I can't get into a lot of details on that, but uh, no, it's it's. A noticeable difference you know in, in the press conference i spoke with uh, the city of gastonia you know i told him i was like i think this is one of the first times that we've as a community had hope in regards to this stadium you know the baseball team the fuse district as a whole i think it's an amazing idea that the city's been trying to put together for years and i think the stadium is kind of the centerpiece of that so you know with us not really doing our part the last couple of years off the field uh, from a management standpoint from an ownership standpoint i think now you know, if we're able to carry our weight, it's all in all going to help the entire city. So I think it's something everybody should be excited about for sure. Nice. So, all right, we're not going too far. Into, now I'm learning. It's fun learning on the fly what the kind of the boundaries are here for what you can go into. So can't get too far into some of that stuff. But um, when it comes to this ownership group taking over, I mean, what are some of the things that you have liked about their past work? and some of the things that you feel like they're bringing to the table that can not only 
be beneficial for any organization, but specifically an organization that has had the struggles that Gasunia has now gone through with both themselves as an organization and the fans. Yeah, well, I think one of the things to point out immediately is you guys actually had a pretty extensive uh, segment on the other hockey teams that he has. I remember, uh, I think it was around the New Year's, you guys covered a lot of those teams. And honestly, I think it was pretty accurate um, for me kind of dealing with it firsthand. You know, you see an ownership group that's able to take over. Granted, it's another sport, but it's actually pretty similar when you really dive into, you know, how players are, you know, procured the payment aspect of it fans the stadiums there's a lot of similarities that the average person may not be aware of but no i, I think they've t- they've shown that they can take over stadiums take over teams take over brands whether it's rebranding and or just bringing in a new group and making them better they're, they're having people show up if you look at you know the attendance rates which i think you guys did you know they're all in the top of their leagues which is something i think we strive for in gastonia um, one thing that it kind of proved, even with our success on the field the last two years, it's not like fans were coming in, you know, droves. So I think uh, not just an on-field product, but I think to be able to have promotions, you know, do giveaways, even specialty jersey nights. I mean, in the three years that the Gastonia Honey Hunters existed, there was not one specialty jersey ever. And now already in this year, granted, it's a little bit of a twist, but we're going to be doing, you know, possibly six or seven or, you know, who knows. So, like, that's already a pretty good sign from that perspective. Um, but yeah, I, I think being able to meet, meet commitments from uh, local vendors and you know businesses, and to be able to actually you know put signs up and things like that—it's just already steps that are happening now that I never saw the last two years while I was here. And honestly, I mean, you talk about just the jersey portion of it, but I mean, six like teaser weekends is kind of some it's a bit of an undertaking in itself it, it just six large scale promotions like that so yeah. uh, over multiple games actually so it, it just is occurring to me as you even say that i'm like thinking of the logistics there and for an ownership group to roll in and and yeah i mean it's part of the branding it's you know beneficial to them to put themselves out there and for the brand but it's also like you know they could have snuck in and been real quiet about things for a while assessed and they're like now nah, we're going to jump in this thing early and and try to bring something different so it's encouraging to see that they're not going to shy away. Uh, it is impressive to see the response too from the people in the city uh, back to the Facebook live video of the, the press conference. And I mean, Facebook, I have worked social media. Uh, I live on social media. I am working social media still. And I also like live on it for baseball stuff. Boy, um, it, it's accessible. And there is almost nothing except positive comments I've seen so far. And that's pretty impressive. So, you're seeing sort of an immediate response from the city and the fans. It seems to be positive in a way that maybe you haven't seen since you got there. Is that kind of what I'm getting here? Yeah. Well, I mean, the biggest, you know, kind of concern I had of after this past season, granted, you know, like we joked about, it's been a very long off season in Gastonia, you know, when we were trying to figure out myself and, you know, of course, Goose, if we were going to stay or if we were going to join another team in this league or other leagues, you know, kind of one of the debates we had was, you know, if we stay in Gastonia, are we going to be able to rebuild? You know, yes, we've had success on the field, but, you know, it's not going to be something as simple as just, you know, flipping a switch. And now all of a sudden everyone's going to trust us and want to work with us and do all these things from a business standpoint. So for me, it was a very good first sign that, you know, before and after that press conference with the meet and greets and through social media, that so many of the partners we had before have already been reaching out, wanting to work with us or, you know, city representatives coming and saying how excited they are. Like, that's just something I've not got to see, you know, firsthand for two years. So again, it's one of those things that's really been optimistic for me and helped a lot through this process. Yeah, that's, it's been very interesting to see. It kind of makes sense that the city might rally around this. And I think part of it is too, you know, 
this stadium was built and now it's been you know paid for by taxpayers and they want to see the stadium come in and, and or filled and it's good to see ownership come in and make sure that happens so that already puts them a little bit ahead but it seems that they're going about things and trying to make things right where they were made wrong previously nick do you want to jump in on some of the off the field stuff or transition anything yeah i'm just going to kind of start to ask a little bit about rebuilding trust in the community because obviously they've been through a lot and more than just the community itself it's also matching a little bit of rebuilding trust with players and coaches and things like that because once you've been through the ringer the way they were for the past however many months you know it's a lot to ask them to reinvest again to risk doing that again so i'm just kind of curious what that process is like yeah, well, I mean, looking at it from the baseball upside, which of course is where I'm at, um, you know, again, one of the concerns I was going to have is a lot of our players, you know, coaches, you know, all the financial struggles that happened last year, you know, were people going to trust us? Were they going to continue to play here? And luckily, um, you know, we really haven't dealt with many concerns on that front because I think a lot of people realize that even with all the BS going on off the field, we still were able to put together an overall pretty right. season yeah. in terms of, you know, win and loss. Obviously, you know, hats off to Lancaster beating us in Game Five, in uh, the championship. But I mean, nine out of ten times, I don't think any team that dealt with what we dealt with this year would have made it as far as we did. So, I was more than you know proud of what our guys were able to do. They had every excuse, every reason to give up, or um, you know, just be like, screw it. You know, like we're not getting this or getting that. Like, why are we, you know, going to do our end of the bargain? But they never did. Guys showed up, and at the same time. These are the exact same guys that are vouching for us too, you know, new free agents or players that want to play in Gastonia. So it's it's been a pretty awesome experience. And I was I've been very shocked with how well it's, you know, transitioned this offseason. Yeah. So there's a real culture of endurance then among the guys that have stuck around, the guys that are going to come back. So I imagine that really helps to continue to build the new culture of the new Gastonia baseball team. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the positives of being able to bring back our coaching staff, you know the core of where our success was last year is returning. So from that standpoint and like that selling point, that's obviously what we're kind of building off of. Um, now for the first time really in my career at the professional level, I'm going to actually see what it's like to have support off the field from the ownership yeah. standpoint. So that for me is kind of a selling point even more so when I'm talking to these guys, I'm like, look what we've done with our hands tied. Now imagine what we're able to do with, you know, no restraint. So that's, again, that's another reason for excitement and optimism in Gastonia. Yeah, and I, I imagine that's a great feeling from a baseball ops perspective when you get to go from the poor house to the penthouse and now you're like, okay, we actually can unleash this thing. I had to fight off like just about everybody else just to be able to put on the product I did, which was phenomenal. As you mentioned, the results are great. And trust me, we got some feedback on when we did our North review about Lancaster. Some people thought we were a little too quick to dismiss them, but second half stormers, that's going to happen. So the fact you guys were able to push them to the very brink of it was honestly phenomenal, especially when everything was going on. So that speaks a lot there too. So yeah, I, I imagine that uh, that's helpful. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you saying that. It, uh, Like I said, it's going into this year, you know, and obviously all the things that are changing from a baseball perspective, which I'm sure we'll dive into as far as an overall league perspective, but you know, competing with teams like High Point and Long Island and Lancaster, of course, went back-to-back -back years and everybody else in the league. I mean, it's a very competitive league. I mean, even, you know, you look at the teams that have struggled the last two years, like there's nobody at the end of the day that's a walk in the park. And I think that probably is the biggest difference between, you know, for example, us and the, or the American Association or even the Frontier League. And 
not to talk poorly about them because I think those are also really great leagues. I know you guys have covered a lot about the American Association and how they've really closed that gap with our league. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you compare top to bottom our leagues, like I, I still don't think other leagues have met that level yet, but that doesn't that's not a knock on them. I just think that's just kind of the players that we go after. So, of course, that's a whole other discussion, but yeah. I, I think it's uh, I think the league's going to be a lot of fun again next year as well. Definitely. It's going to be even more competitive. You got a new team in Hagerstown coming in too, so that's a, another element to battle there. And I think at, at that point, I think we could kind of just make the transition right into baseball talk, in, unless, Ryan, you got something else. Oh, that works for me, man. Do you have something, or do you want me to pick it back up? Yeah, take it around with it to start with it. Well, that does work, because actually you mentioned something that I've noticed. Now, I put a lot of my offseason into getting a better understanding of where these leagues have been in the past because it's hard to assess things without sort of that understanding of what was going on in the 90s and like that but there were so many teams going through old media guides where they'd be dominant and then all of a sudden they're in last and you're like what the hell is that about and the next year there's a note that's like this team folded and you're like oh understood and with that it really dawned as i went through it i mean i was impressed to begin with but really don't me how impressed it was putting together uh, that good season uh, last year in particular with everything going on um, since I did allude to it when you were coming on man but or when I was interviewing you I guess would be a better way to say it but I mean since before you arrived to do baseball operations the team's winning percentage of their first season was 450 since you've been there at 673 I believe that's the best in the league um, last year you know incredible run missed out on the championship by a game how I know it's not all you, so I'm going to get ahead of you because I know you're going to say that. But acknowledging it's not all you, what does it kind of look like? What has the the process been like trying to get people in place? I know obviously Goose as well, getting more comfortable and uh, getting and help, helping to get some guys in and get some things in place. But from your perspective, uh, what did the to-do list look like and how have you sort of navigated that with such success? Well, yeah, I think it all kind of starts when I first got the job two years ago and you know, we really can't talk much about our success without mentioning Goose. I mean, he's been the back-to-back manager of the year in this league, which I think may have been the first time ever. Don't quote me on that, but I think there's a good chance of that. Uh, when we first met two years ago, my, my first day on the job on the phone, you know, I kind of knew going into it, I was more of a new, you know, new school analytic type guy. And I knew he was traditionally more of the old school type baseball guy, you know, as he played in the late 80s, early 90s. And so our very first, like one of the first sentences we ever said to each other, you know, I was like, Goose, I, like, I think in order for us to be successful, we have to meet somewhere in the middle. You know, I think there has to be a balance from a, a standpoint of we got to take numbers and realize why they're valuable. But then we also need to take, you know, what he brings to the table, which is the gut feelings and the decisions that numbers can't quantify. And up to this point, with just about every decision we make from a baseball standpoint, that's how we approach everything. Um, you know, looking at the rosters we've built the last two years, I'm very proud of, especially the opening day rosters with, um, I mean, for example, last year, you look at it, one through nine, our lineup was pretty insane. And then, you know, our pitching staff, I think we had three or four big leaguers in the rotation alone. So we've had a lot of success bringing guys in with that in mind, being a well-rounded team. I think, you know, you look at Gastonia, their first year prior to me being here, their offense was, I think, top, you know, top of the league, probably top two, if not number one. However, the pitching was kind of the opposite. Um, so one of our first things we talked about was we need to focus on being more, you know, well-rounded. I think getting offense as a whole is honestly a lot easier than getting pitchers in at the indie ball level, just because pitchers typically get more chances, you know, an affiliated ball. But 
our main focus has been let's be well-rounded. And you look at our statistics the last two years, I think we've been basically top three in just about every pitching, offense, and fielding category there is. And I think that has led to a lot of our success. And then at the end of the day, too, that doesn't even include what Goose is able to do from a, a non-roster building perspective. Like, he gets guys to buy in. You know, I'm sure you've heard stories of guys, especially big leaguers, that come in thinking they're just going to come in, throw 95, get popped in a week, and be back in affiliated ball. And that's not how this, you know, league works. Like, it is a very competitive league. You have to play well. If you want to earn a second chance, you know, you know, whatever you're looking for, whether it's international or affiliated. So he does an amazing job of getting guys to realize what we're here to do. Um, and buy into kind of the Gastonia, I wouldn't say the Gastonia effect, but, you know, the last two years, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but we've had 28 players picked up um, just in the last two seasons, which is, I would imagine, leads the country. And I think out of those 28, 19 or 20 have actually been in-season purchases, which is even more insane. So we, we get guys in here, but at the same time, we're able to win. So it's it's a hard combination to do both, but we've done it so far. It's kind of been interesting to see i mean honestly it, we i think talked in the past uh nick about yeah. concerns about whether or not goose could sort of modernize because it didn't look super optimistic in year one it, in the reports where it was a pretty old school vibe and while you're completely right i mean there needs to be that it it needs to be a mix of feel and experience with then what we're learning today and you know what we might have found out you know <laughs> yesterday literally at times but it, it's been fascinating to watch the two of you sort of have a meeting of the minds and meet in the middle. And I think it says a lot too, because Brady, I feel like I mean, you're a young guy in the game. I'm sure you've seen this where you start to have a conversation with someone as experienced as goose and you're just, it's talking to a wall or they're writing you off. And, and I think it's a big, a real credit to him for the fact that he just, just seemed to be like, yeah, all right, like we can work with this. And, and that's rare anywhere, you know, let alone, at a level where you know you're working with a somebody who's as young, I feel like this is the ongoing theme of the last couple of weeks, Nick, of yeah. young guys, pretty young in these front offices, and yeah, for him, say it every yeah, week. I'm open to it. It's pretty impressive. Um, looking at just the challenge of surviving Atlantic League season is kind of where my head's at, but because <laughs> as you went through, you know, the the history of last year and the work to be done, I'm also thinking about just. And then you know, Long Island comes into town with a bunch of major leaguers, and you're like, oh, cool, great. Um, what is it about indie ball that seems to sort of be attractive from your perspective? Because and the background on this, Nick, you weren't privy to this, but I think yeah. maybe the first or second time you and I talked, Brady, I, I noted that I feel like you're good for indie ball, and you said something along the lines of this isn't a call out of like, yeah, I mean it's good for now, it's not really your end game, and and it might not be your end game still, but I've noticed talking to you lately, it seems like there's a far more you look you seem far more like yeah i could i could hang out here like i'm into this and it's maybe a little bit more attractive than you even necessarily thought it would be when you went into it so would you mind sharing maybe how your thoughts have evolved and developed as you experience more of the very odd scenario that is indie ball yeah so honestly i kind of found out about indie ball shortly before they offered me the job i didn't realize the dynamics of it um, I think 2020, during the COVID year, when I was helping do stats up in Lexington for the Battle of the Bourbon Trail, was actually my first taste of anything remotely close to Indie Bowl. And at the time, and they weren't even calling it that because the legends hadn't even officially been cut loose from the you know Royals affiliation. Right. Um, shortly after that, actually, when I I I got this job, I came to a game in Gastonia. I knew one of the players and his father invited. I went to college with him. They invited me to a game in Gastonia. 
sure enough, I met, you know, the owner at the time and they ended up offering me a job and it was kind of crazy how it worked. But at the time, I really didn't know like the type of players that signed here, um, you know, what all went into the decision-making aspect or any of it. Um, actually this podcast and, uh, you know, Ryan, what you were able to do on your channel at the time, like that's kind of gave me a crash course to this. I remember one of the first podcasts I listened to was like the annual, annual, uh, Q and a kind of segment you guys do. And, and for me, like that was kind of like, I was absorbing it was like, that was yeah. the crash course before I started. Um, so thank you guys for that, you know, by the way, but no, going into it, I really didn't think, you know, this is gonna be a long-term situation. Um, shortly before I was in Gastonia, I worked with the Tigers for a little bit. And so I knew affiliated ball as a kid was always kind of my dream job, but no, like, like you said, over time, I mean, now doing this for two years and you start building a relationship with players and you see how it, when any ball is done the right way, I mean, it's beautiful. Like, and that's kind of what for me has kind of changed my thoughts on it. And I could see myself here long-term, especially, you know, with this new ownership group and the stability that's finally here. Um, there's a whole other side of it that I think, you know, whether it's giving guys second chances or giving guys that never even had affiliated, you know, experience a chance to get that call. I mean, Spencer Bivens is a guy that leaps out uh, to me immediately. I mean, he was basically a career any ball guy um, within my first week of the season, my first year. I mean, he got picked up by the giants and kudos to him. He earned it. He deserved it. He made so many amazing changes and it's guys like that, that really makes what I do special. I mean, as you know, and now anybody in any ball, whether it's a front officer, or coaching staff, there, you put a lot of time into making a season happen and even more time to make that season be successful. And so when you have guys get rewarded, such as, you know, a Spencer Bivens, it's 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 an awesome feeling. And to compare, the, I think the easiest way to compare indie ball to affiliated is at this level compared to minor league ball, we care about winning. You know, like we're not investing millions of dollars into a draft pick and be like, oh, we're going to give him chance after chance after chance. I don't care how much, you know, monthly salary we give you, what your highest level is. Whoever is going to help us win at the end of the day, like that's the guy that's going to be getting the opportunities. And to me, that's a huge reason why I like indie ball so much. Yeah, man. That's the one we should talk about at some point, Nick. We should have an episode yeah. just talking back through some guys who made affiliate and check in because every time I look, Bivens was putting up numbers last year. It would be interesting to see if he gets a look at some point. But um, yeah, it's funny because, again, I sort of I feel like everyone. Hey, Nick, is that a thing? You've been doing these interviews longer than me. Is that a thing where people tend to stumble into indie ball? Because I did. And yeah, nobody really again, ever like sets out to do indie ball. It's always oh, kind of like, a, you know, like, <laughs> oh, okay. Even on the player level up, it's just like, yep, this is where I'm at. I want to be in baseball. This is where I'm at. And then more and more, you start to come to terms with, you know what, actually. And I can't ever yeah. tell if it's, there's, there's an actual draw here or if it's just like Stockholm Syndrome. It's one or the other. And I'm still working it out because I'm in I'm the same boat. Yeah. I'm open to both. That's all right. I mean, hey, you're getting some good people in the sense, so I can't complain. Exactly. Um, all right. So scanning through my questions here, man. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of Nick, but I will say, um, I mean, I, I guess I won't really break into what to look forward to on the field this season yet, unless Nick is ready for me to have that conversation as well. I, I don't want to like burn past something where you're like circling. You got to circle back in 30 minutes after I nerd out. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just standard on the show. So, you know. Go. I am the captain now. Um, so, all right, let's talk about this then. So now you got to build a team where I've it, now you, you, I assume you were privy to more things than I am because you'll work there, but it felt like for a lot of this off season, there was a lot of talk. Like the, the league seemed very open about there's going to be baseball and guests. Don't worry about it. 
But when there's no organization there and there's you know bankruptcy hearings, it's hard to stick around as a player. So now you're putting together a roster where, yeah, you have a lot of returning faces, thankfully, but you've also had to probably do a little more work than you would have had to otherwise. So how have you gone about putting this team together for you know next season? Because I know you don't want to tear everything down. You were one game away. So how have you been able to sort of keep in place what's been good and, and sort of grab what you're going to need, even if that's more than you would have hoped uh, when the offseason began? Yeah, well, I think anybody that, you know, follows indie ball year to year, you know, there's a lot of turnover. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why I have a job, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> constructing a roster, it's it's not easy. Um, I mean, I, I know you guys know that, you know, firsthand. It uh, Thankfully, we have a lot of guys coming back from last year. So that that does make the job a little bit easier. But yeah, getting guys to buy into a team that's kind of up in the air, it was not the easiest, you know, conversations for sure. Um, you know, a lot of it kind of came from a standpoint of myself, actually quick little backstory. I've worked in sales a little bit back in college and I hated it. Couldn't stand it. And when I got here, one of the first things they told me was that, you know, you're still going to kind of be in sales because at the end of the day, you're selling opportunities, you're selling dreams. And for me, I was like, if I'm going to do that, I have to believe in that as well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, after two years of doing this, it's like, okay, you know, I've seen 28, 29 guys come through here, get another chances. So for me, it made that so much easier this off season of going into these conversations and be like, guys, like here's here's the facts. You know, like we've not only won the most games in the country the last two years, but we've also had the most guys picked up. So if you're wanting to play any ball or you're hesitant, like this should be the place you want to be. Not to mention the fact that we're 20, 25 minutes from, you know, Charlotte, which is a, an amazing city, and having an, an international airport 15 minutes from our stadium is even better. I mean, it's, it's such a good spot. And then on top of that, we're the southernmost geographical indie ball team on the, you know, this the side of the United States. So, like, there's so many reasons why Gastonia is a great landing spot. I just had to get guys to kind of, like, see that because a lot of people, there is a bad stigma about indie ball. So, you know, it's not like one of those things where, like, I'm the Yankees calling somebody up and say, hey, I'm going to offer you a job, and they're ecstatic. Like, most of the time, like, you're having to get people to realize what indie ball is. If you're coming here to get rich and, play baseball it's probably not going to work out for you because nobody's making a ton of you know ton of money here but if you're looking at it from an exposure and an opportunity standpoint that's what we sell and that's what's worked and that's what we're going to continue to try to do so that was basically my number one driving force this offseason when trying to build a new roster and talking roster construction sort of the strategy around it I, i'm i gotta bring up something which i i'm amazed i really didn't talk to you about throughout the last year because we do talk a good bit um in 2022, for those who don't know, if they went to see your team play a game anywhere throughout the league at any given time on a random night, the odds in that one game said that they would see about two and a half stolen bases as you guys went on to shatter the stolen base record. 305 steals. I believe the record was somewhere in the two, around 250. It was in the 240s range, I think. Yeah. Um, this past year, you were sixth in the league in steals for 162. Um, however, you did lead the league in home runs, which is, uh, you basically flipped from the year before where you had a hundred, you were fifth in the league in home runs. So, I mean, that's, it worked for you. You had a very good team in 2022 and it seemed actually that other teams started kind of went, Oh, still stealing bases, getting some speed on the bases is really helping here. What, what are we looking at? And maybe we should go that way. So it seems like you called a real audible strategically. It, that's something that you 
always meant to do? Was that forced by, you know, the players you had on hand or what was the thought process behind putting together a roster that was going to hit bombs instead of steal bases constantly? Yeah. So this is actually the favorite part of my job. So this question is like probably one of the favorites I've ever received. So thank you for that. Let's go. Uh, but actually, no, it was very, very, uh, you know, I guess precise where I mean, we were trying to do that. Um, you know, the first year we looked at kind of the rest of the league. And so kind of the thought process was guys that hit for power, A, they're hard to sign anyways because they're going to be more expensive, but B, they're harder to keep because Mexico generally likes guys with power. Um, so one of our thought processes was, you know, like obviously we needed to shore up pitching. I mean, that was my number one, no matter what. We, 2021, and we had one of the worst pitching staffs, I think, statistically of all time. So my goal is we need to be at least league average with pitching. Which, granted, I think we ended up having like a three eight nine ERA, which was even better than my expectations. But pitching had to be better, defense had to be better, and then offensively, I was like, as long as we find ways to get on base and run, we're going to manufacture runs. Did I think we were going to still three hundred and five stolen bases? No, no, I didn't. But there was definitely a you know an effort to make sure. I mean, we had guys like Jack Reinheimer who had forty fifty stolen bases. Reese Hampton, I think, had sixty five stolen bases. We had a lot of guys with green lights. Jake Skull. I mean. I think we had five guys with 20 plus bags that year. So from that perspective, yeah, like that was that was definitely what we were shooting for. And then this past year, we noticed a lot of teams in our league going after those type of players. So we realized, well, you know, if we're going to have to be bidding up for speed and defense guys, why would we not transition back to the power guys that are kind of getting left out to dry? So, you know, you look at the lineup we had, it switched over to guys like Carlos Franco, Stephen Moya, Curtis Terry, a lot of guys that were more known for their power, not necessarily their ability to run. And at the end of the day, you know, you look at our our runs per game over the last two years, there was a difference of like 0.1. So even though we did a complete 180, we were still able to create about the same amount of runs. So, yeah, it, it was definitely targeted. I mean, Goose and I actually joke each offseason. We're like, all right, you know, what stat do we want to record break this year? You know, two years ago it was stolen bases. This year it was home runs. So now – you know, it's, it's definitely not that easy. I mean, kudos to guys to kind of buying that image. But that's that's a lot of my off-season interviews this year with potential teams. I told them, I was like, when you're building a team, you have to have an identity. If you're just going out there trying to sign the best guys possible, you know, your team's probably not going to have an identity, especially from an offensive standpoint. And that's been our goal the last two years, and that's what we're currently doing right now. And hopefully it pays off again. That's uh, that's so bold, man. I just can't get over that. The the, the one, just the wherewithal to be like, hey, uh, it seems like things are getting a little bit tight here on the strategy that we just ran out extremely successfully. So let's just go ahead and change that up, which is wild. So kudos to you on that one. But I'm also low-key loving the like the the slight villain energy, which I'm not saying because great guys are in a good place to play. Everybody's it's cool, it's cool. Be cool, Brady. But like part of me is like, hey, I see that we uh, sort of put you in a tight spot here. Uh, you know, trying to get signed for a cool contract because now fast guys are cool. How about you come hit some bombs in Gastonia? That's pretty dark sided. I kind of like it. Um, that's like macroeconomic manipulation from you on the uh, free agency side. Uh, I, I, I'll kick it Nick's way because some of the other things, just some finer points um, that we can get into to sort of wrap things here before I drag it past the point of no return on Nick. Here we yeah, I've, I want to circle back to one thing here. Yeah, I know. I don't really know yeah, what right. to do when you just you're just like here, take this thing, and I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, dude, I, I, you know, I say, now nah, I'm good, and I'll just take it right on. I just don't want to 
No, no, I have questions. You ran through the it's stop your sign last podcast. time. There it is. Yeah, no, you you ran through the stop sign last time, so you know I'm gonna take control yeah. of my podcast again. Thank you. <laughs> About time. Yeah, yeah. So just circling back, so is that a second ago? You mentioned Mexico likes a lot of guys with power, and obviously this year we have the new rules for Mexico. You're gonna have more import players. So I'm just kind of curious how you're gonna manage to balance that. You mentioned you had, I believe it was 28 guys signed over two years. If you can bring more guys into Mexico now, I imagine that number is going to go up a lot. They know your teams. They know the quality of player there, so they're going to look to try and get them from there. Uh, so how are you going to try and negate that serious loss uh, to the team? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out currently. Um, you know, I, th I think as far as building the opening day roster, uh, it's still kind of similar to what it was last year, but I think this year is probably going to be the hardest probably – in history for indie ball especially the atlantic league to maintain your roster somewhat regularly i mean we at any one point last year i think at the halfway point of last season we basically sold one player per every six games which from my perspective of trying to maintain a quality roster that is very difficult to replace because as you know you lose a big league starter there's a very slim chance you're going to find a big league starter on the free agent market to replace him so it's it's definitely not going to be easy. I mean, this year we're going to have to database a lot more guys. Ultimately, is what it comes down to. I think the league as a whole is going to be a lot younger. So, from our perspective, you know, there's a lot of reason. I, I heard uh, Jack Jennings talking a little bit about it last week. You know, looking at college pitchers or younger pitchers and having guys come in, and he's 100 percent accurate. I mean, I've talked to multiple managers this off season. Everyone's like, yeah, like. As a whole, specifically on the pitching side, it's probably going to get a little bit younger, especially in the middle of the season. Um, you know, luckily for us last year, when we started losing some of our big league starters, you know, Marcus Wall and Alex Sanabia, um, who, uh, Zach Godley, all three of those are big league starters that got purchased from us. And we were able to have guys step up. I mean, Zach Moore, who was pitcher co-pitcher of the year in the Atlantic League last year, started off as our sixth starter you know, a high A guy and ended up having a career year. Now he got rewarded. He's in Mexico. Gunnar Kynes, another guy who's been in any ball quite a while, came in out of the bullpen, ended up starting for us. And the two of them were very dominant for really the entire season. So Mexico, I think, is definitely going to make that harder, especially from a starting pitcher perspective. But it's one of those things that's hopefully everybody in the league's affected, not just us. And I would imagine based on the numbers, that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, that. That's the difficulty, but that's also the fun and the challenge of it, though, is finding a way to play the chess game better than everybody else. And I imagine part of uh, what kind of helps negate it is a shortened draft now with MLB. So how do you try to take advantage of guys that would have otherwise been drafted, maybe not signed, but drafted still nonetheless, while also trying to figure out the landscape of these younger guys? Because like you said, pitching is going to get younger. Yeah. But when it's younger, it's also more unproven. And in a high-quality league like the Atlantic League, you start to see fairly early on, okay, who's going to be able to cut it? Who's going to wind up with like a 7 ERA after two weeks? Yeah. No, I, I don't think there's a simple answer to it. Um, you know, you said with the draft being shortened, kind of my viewpoint as far as looking at the American, the Pioneer, and the Frontier Leagues is that in a way, if, you, if you're looking at all four of the main you know, major leagues, whatever you want to call them, as kind of like its own minor league system, those college pitchers that are just miss, missing getting drafted, I like watching them go to American and Frontier Pioneer teams and kind of seeing how they do. To me, like that's kind of like their version of rookie ball. Now I can kind of see like more of an accurate gauge. 
because as you know, college stats, like although some guys, you know, it can be very valuable, a lot of the times it's a crapshoot. You know, you really don't know how that's going to translate, especially to the Atlantic League where uh, more often than not the average age of position players is like 28 and a half. So if I'm taking a college pitcher who's 21, 22 years old and then throwing him against Carlos Franco, there's a good chance that pitcher's probably not going to do very well. So for me, it's it's kind of that in-between balance. In the middle of a season, you know, sometimes your hand's forced. You have to go after college pitchers. But more often than not, my number one goal is you want to get at least, you know, A-ball, double-A, triple-A type guys because you know it's you know how they're going to translate a majority of the time. So this year, like I said, it's, it's going to be tough, but all we can do is, you know, try to bounce back and get guys to step up. That's why depth in any ball is it's so important. You know, you don't you don't get to carry two or three extra guys. So you kind of do it within. I mean, traditionally our pitching staff each year, we try to have seven starters at the beginning of the year so that inevitably, you know, when you lose a starter, you've got a guy that can naturally slide in there in case you're not able to find that, you know, star free agent. So it's it's just however you're able to, to manage at the beginning of the year really is what it comes down to. Yeah. And just a curiosity, because I've seen this as like a possibility before, but I've never actually seen a team go for it, which would be you look across other leagues and, and whatnot, and you see teams that are struggling, probably not playoff caliber teams. Is there ever the thought of, you know, let me make a call over there. There's two or three guys that I really like on that team. See if I can't pull them away for something. Is that now more possible for trying to fill those midseason gaps? Yeah, I mean, trading in general in any ball is extremely difficult. difficult. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because nobody at the end of the day, whether they're wanting to give up on their season or just give up yeah. a player, like nobody really wants to do it unless a player just flat out says he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. One thing that I'm not sure if you guys have ever talked about, but an idea I had is kind of like a transfer portal type situation where essentially what I think would be super beneficial, especially for baseball ops guys like myself is – Every single league, every single team, you essentially have like your own little page and whether it's a website publicly or not publicly, I don't care. But as long as I have access to it, yeah. I'm going to be fine. You have the roster, you you know, you have their age, what they're making, what their housing is, if they have a car, the logistical side of things. But then also, of course, you're going to be able to have stats and all that stuff. To me, you know, not necessarily be, oh, I'm going to put so-and-so on the trading block because that's very video gamey. Yeah. But to be able to like see those guys that hey like this guy might be a possible fit rather than me searching through point streak or baseball reference or whatever yeah. now I can already tell like hey so and so is actually from our area he might be wanting to be playing closer to home hey so and so actually has a car so this is guy's going to be easier to get into our market anyways little things like that I think would be yeah. huge a huge step in the right direction not just for each team and each league but actually kind of unifying the leagues because. I get why there's such a big division between all four leagues, but at the end of the day, if we're talking about actually helping guys better their careers from a player standpoint, it doesn't make sense why we shouldn't be able to work together a little bit more than what we do up to this point. Honestly, it's a phenomenal idea. It it really is because it it would play on the whole partner league thing, which, you know, again, as we've discussed ad nauseum, it, nobody really has any idea what it means, and I assume it means nothing now. Besides being able to slap an MLB logo on your stadium, but honestly, having the transfer portal page here, almost just like a classified section of, all right, I need this, and then being able to plug all that in to sort the the sheet by to find someone that fits it would be a phenomenal idea. It's not something we've talked about before, but something we definitely should. I I don't think it's really that impossible to do. I mean, I no, know from from an affiliated standpoint, they already kind of had that access for yeah. all of us. 
Um, maybe not as much on the logistical side because they obviously don't yeah. care about that. But for us, it should not be difficult at all for every team to be able to submit, you know, an easy roster like with all those things I just talked about. And like you said, being able to filter and all that stuff, I mean, yeah, like that would make everybody's life a lot easier. Yeah, definitely would. I mean, it also would, to a certain level, I could see pushback from some people on wanting to have that because it does, in a way, devalue the connections you can make. Like Not entirely because obviously you still have to work to deal with people and you want to have that edge on other people, of course, but... Yeah. At the same point, if you're a newer guy and you have the portal, it makes it a little bit easier than if you're, say, the grizzled manager of 25 years being able to kind of backdoor your way in on a player. So I could see there being push and pull on both sides of it. But honestly, uniforming the system, I think, would be a far more beneficial thing in the long run, especially for players and staff. Yeah, and again, I don't think it's something where we should promote teams poaching players, especially yeah. even season or off season, but you know, I think keeping contact information, all that stuff is very important. But at the end of the day, as long as it's set up correctly, each team, each manager, GM, whatever, like they're still gonna have the final say of what happens with the roster. So it's not like, yeah. you know, we're gonna be able to force people's hands. But yeah. I do think it would be nice where rather than me calling up, you know, Lake Country, for example, and be like, Hey, do you got anybody, you know, available? I can already come to them with some educated names and now it's not wasting everybody's time so yeah it's just something i thought about could probably help overall and i think it'd make everybody's lives a little bit easier yeah no, it definitely and, would yeah ryan what's you your know, thoughts on this because you, you actually steered close to something that i've sort of uh, softballed some people in the past to see what they would say but I, i've had the idea of also you know up until where trade deadlines would be a, basically a transfer window like soccer has because i think it, it would be a good you know there's a lot of times where it's tough, you know, maybe a team's out of it. Maybe a team has more outfielders than they need in the frontier league. But if you need an outfielder, cause you just got a guy signed away in the Atlantic, a frontier league team might be hesitant to give away a guy, even if he's seen as an extra piece right now, because they got people aging out next year, or they might have a good guy just regularly who they don't have a spot for, but they know they'll need him next year and he's developing. But by giving him to, you know, sending him to Gastonia, they might lose out on his future and young guys are valuable over in that league where you have those roster restrictions. But if there was a, you know, basically a transfer window where you could loan a guy out, be, you know, that would allow an Atlantic league team to get him and he gets to play on a bigger stage for a while. He might even get more playing time, but depending on the situation, probably not as much necessarily, but it is this you know, bigger stage of the Atlantic league and possibly maybe other benefits of it. But, the teams, you know, you have a guy who isn't just sitting on your bench if you're in the Frontier League who you would like to play more and you'd like to see, you know, develop into a future starter for you and you have one less hole in your roster in the Atlantic League, it could really come to benefit more often than not. So I, I think it's that is also an interesting possibility of just trying to get these leagues to work together a little more and, you know, in a way that would be beneficial to everybody rather than just benefiting, you know, one league over another, which is when everybody shuts down and doesn't right. want to work. Right. No, definitely. And I think you know, going even deeper into it rather than being able to put like guys on a trade block, because I think that's a little aggressive, especially if it gets leaked, but to be able to be like, Hey, you know, Gastonia, for example, we're looking for whatever position, you know, you check the box, they prefer. And then you have like your age limits or whatever. Granted, Atlantic League doesn't have those, but American association could very easily be like, Hey, we're looking for a guy with this much experience. So then, you know, like, let's say whatever, whether it's the end of our spring training, because we start before those leagues or, you know, middle part of the year where we're like, hey, we've got to move somebody and we don't want to just outright release them. We can go check every other team's wants and needs and see, hey, 
if this guy fits in there, are you interested? Now we're not just releasing guys out to the wind and hoping that because the end of the day too, like I don't like releasing guys. I mean, it's a terrible part of the job. So anytime you can find a guy another spot, I think that should be one of the selling points as well. Is like this is going to allow maybe those twenty seventh man type guys, or maybe it's just somebody that got booted out. Is still going to give them another chance to find a spot rather than them going to their couch and now they're trying to call every team up, being like, "Hey, do you need a fourth outfielder? Do you need another infielder? You know, whatever the situation is." So, again, I think if you look at it from that perspective, it's going to be friendly for the players too. Yeah, I'm on it, man. Anything that can, it's especially every year. I feel like I see some guys retire. We're like, "Damn, really." And, and you wonder if, you know, maybe there's just a little bit something easier or that, that helped you out a little bit and, and let you maximize whether it's your opportunity to make the show or to get into affiliated ball for a little while or just to, you know, play baseball. You know, I, I'm always in support of it. Um, I sort of interjected there. Nick, did you have anything else you want to roll with here? No, but I did. Have, I wanted to say one thing. When you mentioned the loan idea, that was the first thing that came to my mind. But what kind of interjected with it was, what happens to the player you loaned out for, say, like a month or two gets hurt? Who's on the hook for that? Yeah, you can work that out contractually. I mean, carbon copy of whatever it is that uh, <laughs> the soccer clubs have going on. Honestly, I would take the easy way out there. Um, I, mean, I think a lot of it would. In fairness, to... I think soccer clubs got a bit of a different economic structure and resource base to work off of, though. There are some clubs who would desperately beg to differ on that one uh, from i've been going down the soccer club rabbit hole recently of how did they mess this up basically being the theme um so basically I, european at this point I, rugby I, no, soccer I, don't blame me sorry brady pretend you're not here don't blame me for with what we've seen over the past several years being interested in what could be red flags for a failing organization ownership wise i'm interested Wow. Where we? Okay. <laughs> right. Right in front of the guy. Wow. Okay. I mean, he wasn't the owner. It's fine. <laughs> this podcast going well. Um, I think. I, I mean, and I was uh, nice I to not even ask the question I had about you. To think no. I was being nice. Ask you know, no, I'll leave it. No, no, no. Run it. Run it. Run it. Okay. Well, let me bring the actual guest of the show back in, so that way we can stop bantering for a second here. <laughs> I was going to ask polite, Brady <laughs> if he's how difficult Ryan made your life last year because I know he makes my life difficult every goddamn day. So I imagine it was tenfold for you with the way he was going about things. No, I mean, honestly, again, I can't dive into much of it, but I think there was a lot of red flags that people weren't aware of, and I was glad that there were people shedding light on what was going on. So um, not to dive too deep into that, but yeah, I'm, I, it kind of feels like, you know, if you've ever watched, uh, you know, the Marvel Endgame or Infinity War, with yeah. the Doctor Strange and he holds up the one oh, finger, the one, yeah. only one way where everything worked out. Yeah. I'm hoping that this is kind of where we're at at that point where it's like, okay, Iron Man just sacrificed himself and now, you know, here we are, we're on the, the greener side and Thanos is dead. So that's what I'm hoping. I mean, you don't have to be nice to him. I'm never nice to him. So you don't have to be, you know, he's from Pennsylvania. He's hardly a person even. That's fair. That tracks. I'm mostly Amish. Um, <laughs> That's why I'm, you're a Stormers fan. Not Barnstormers, just Stormers. Remember that. Oh, God, yeah. Brady and I do have the bond of spending some time in Kentucky and having a soft spot for it. So there, there is that. So don't overlook it. Um, the <laughs> it, it did sort of 
mm. make me think back to we've had this conversation actually in the pod nick of yeah. it did feel like if this organization was going to succeed and honestly succeed without taking some time off the path to make that work is very narrow um but it does feel like so far it has kind of followed that path i mean yeah. it has there kind of been an awareness of how difficult like from inside this is a weird question to ask but i'm just curious like from being in there like it was there awareness of like there's a very slim chance that this works out properly unless we we nail the next move here and it's seeming like so far so good i mean it, it this can't all be happy accident right sorry to circle back from off the field talk but or on the field talk to what we no. have with the ownership no I, I think it was all very targeted um very calculated i think that's the word i was looking for earlier um I think a lot of people had to make things happen in order for us to be where we're at now. Um, you know, it's funny. I, again, I can't dive into too much of it, but it's kind of like, it's it's why this off season was so difficult. You know, at the end of the day, I really didn't know where I was going to be at next year, whether it was Gastonia with new ownership or, you know, another team in the league or whatever have it. I knew I wasn't going to be back in Gastonia with the same ownership group. I'll tell you that for free, but uh it it was no it was very very hard i mean really up until the last couple months we still weren't even really sure what was going on so it's like now i finally feel like i can breathe again and know what's going to happen and be confident in it, in it you know um i'll i'll get this back on track again or something seemingly on track uh as long as Nick does have a different idea of where he'd like this to go i'm going to go into the baseball operations nerdiness if that's okay nick before we have to let Brady go I mean, sure thing. The only thing I want to just point out here is we mentioned the ERA jumped uh, a little bit ago, going yes. from the worst to the top. It just reminded me of how much progress got made in the course of just a few months from this show going from the weekly, I think it was Gastonia ERA check or Lancaster yeah. ERA check, where it's just like, okay, let's see how bad it was today, to, oh, they're now leading the league in, in this. Like, yeah. they're, below, they're below four. <laughs> one of a few teams so that i just it's just I kind for, of amazing when i think about it i forgot you had that going on man yeah yeah i know what he's when it was a said regular earlier, portion I was like, of the podcast yeah it was like a weekly thing we got we looked forward to me and well we were like oh let's see how this is and we forgot one week and i was like oh i can't believe we forgot people complained that we forgot i remember don't worry i still have the receipts of uh two years ago when we first when we first started and there was you know the projections for gastonia and we i think we were like somewhere between like seventh and ninth and the pitching was like oh it's got to be better than last year because it was so bad but you know we'll see so we were happy that it you know kind of exceeded everybody's expectations yeah, yeah we we really were material for a lot of people i don't like pinto has us up in the office so that's That'll be the I next remember one. I, I did cheat on that one a little bit because you were the funny year. So I didn't put out, I don't think I put out preseason projections that year because I was working with Lexington still. But oh, I because you were lazy. I remember I had them significantly lower. Thanks, Nick. And yeah. I, but we talked just doing baseball operations stuff like briefly, like one or two emails. And I remember being like, hmm, this is a different energy than what we were previously getting. <laughs> and being like, well, and I look, I really looked back at some of the signings to be like reading some tea leaves. I was like, I think this might be a better team than that. So like I was closer than any right to be that year, but I do remember some people like the projections did have the the vibe of it's got to get better, but uh, I don't know, man. So that's, uh, I remember that being a topic of conversation with PJ too, of like what the hell's going on in Gastonia and, and what's the new guy got going on. Um, yeah. but 
in all that to say, glad that panned out and glad games were no longer like four hours regularly. You did miss out on that one. Um, yeah. yeah you, you had, that was the kind of energy that could sell tickets on Facebook. Yeah. Well, listen. That, that was one of the reasons why our pitching staff had to be better. People were complaining about the games lasting so long. So wow. they were like, we want your pitching to be better, not just to win, but we want games to be like three hours rather than four hours. So it was, there was a lot of, you know, push from behind from that perspective people just wanted the games to go quicker yeah i i do believe i watched a blue rocks team working there that was not good but they had the decency to be all pitching so they would lose three out of four every weekend but they would do it in under two hours and 15 a lot of the time and i was like hey that's not a lot of selling 50 50 tickets i think i might have been intern that year so can't complain um should have posted 50 50 on facebook buddy we i don't get me started. 50, selling 50-50, unfortunately, might have been my life's gift. But that's a different conversation. Um, the conversation I, I wanted to get to before we let you go was we talked a little bit about it with Jack last year. Um, it, it came up in the context of Mexico, just for being the next challenge along the way of unexpected challenges to running an indie ball team. Um, but we, we did ask him kind of what he thinks could be the future, the next challenge that maybe isn't expected right now. Do you have any, when you look forward down the line, do you see, you know, what is the next thing that you might feel you need to start preparing for the potential of? Or if you were just to take a guess, what do you think would be like the next challenge to somebody trying to put together an indie ball roster? Well, and this might be kind of a cop-out answer, but I think <laughs> um, inflation, I think inflation's like really been like going up and, and there's two parts one just with normal america you know economy but two actually with minor leaguers uh being paid more which as they should you know that's kind of changed from a perspective of you know you look at it before the new unionization the new cba agreements uh minor leaguers were paid somewhat pretty closely to what any ball paid you know as far as anywhere from the 1300 to 3000 range now i mean you look at like a ball double a guys like they're making more if not double than that in some cases and it's like okay you know now i've got to convince guys not only to come here but now they're taking a significant pay cut as well so for us again it's one of those conversations it's another hurdle that we have to kind of overcome but i think as inflation increases you know it not to you know complain to atlantic or american or anybody like that but we may end up having to increase you know our cap limits whether it's a per contract or salary cap overall so who knows what's going to happen there but I think it's something that I could see happening in the near future for sure. I'm just trying to think through that. Is there any way around that? Like I'm trying to be from the problem solving thing. I'm like, nah, that's just going to be, that's going to be a, an interesting one to tackle. Cause that requires such big picture changes too. It's not one where it's like, we're just going to adjust our angle a little bit more, but that, that might honestly lean back into the Jack conversation of maybe it's the player amenities that have to be the thing, but guess what? Player amenities will cost more too because of inflation. So yeah, but it's also no, a long-term it, investment. It, it, it can be when you look yeah, at it when, when you look at it for face value i mean it's not something that we can change at my level obviously that's something that's got to be agreed upon way above me and you know who knows is that ever going to change you know i don't have the answer for that so honestly it might be another reason why you're going to see leagues getting younger and younger you know not just because guys can automatically go to mexico i mean Again, I, I hate to keep mentioning Carlos Franco, but you look at his track record in the Atlantic League the last few years. You know, traditionally speaking, I think he played at least two or three years for York and then one for Gastonia, and he's been purchased three times. You know, a guy like that may not get an opportunity at the beginning of the year with an international or affiliated team, but he's going to get picked up pretty quickly because he puts up the numbers again. Now those guys, they don't have a reason to come, you know, kind of showcase those stats in our league because they're already getting those opportunities at the beginning of the year in Mexico or affiliated or whatever. So... 
it's again it automatically like those 4a type guys are now they don't need to start in the atlantic league like they traditionally needed to before so i think there's just multiple kind of variables that are pushing towards the league getting younger overall and i think this year more than the, the recent ones you're going to continue to see that that trend never had an ops that didn't start with a one dot in the atlantic league carlos franco's not actually human um yep. oh man i was just thinking about how how fun it was having him up the road in New York for a while there. Um, yeah. uh, you've really kind of gone through all, well, you did hit my Mexico question. Shout out to Nick for being better at reading my mind, which is probably not a great thing. Um, yeah, I, I really don't story. have anything else that I know. We, <laughs> I hate it. Um, <laughs> I know that we kind of uh, have to let you go eventually here, but um, Nick, did you have anything else you want to get to before? We, I have one more question. I'll let you take the last one. I'll let Let's you take go. the last one. All right, Brady, we're both stats people. What is the stat or data point that people are not looking at enough that you maybe value more than others? Nick, <laughs> <can> shut up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, without giving away too much of my spreadsheets, I think uh, that's very. We're going to keep it simple because everybody has access to it. I think FIP is very underrated. Um, I don't think there's enough, you know, I would think teams in our league or in any ball in general that look at it. I mean, guys, for example, a guy has a, you know, a six ERA and triple A last year as a pitcher. Um, obviously, that's not great numbers, but you look and he actually has like a 3.5 or a 3.75, whatever it is. And you're like, OK, like dude was just unlucky. If a guy like that falls through the cracks and doesn't get an affiliated job, as an any ball team, that should be your number one target for a pitcher to go after. And that's one of the things we look at. So without g going too far into it, that's one of my favorites for sure. I respect that. I respect the restraint there. Um, it, does any of that sort of also play in when it comes to building a pitching staff around your, you have sort of an unusually shaped ballpark is how I always phrase it. Um, that it can invite some homers, especially out to left field. Is that something that, you know, you do have to navigate yeah. and fit maybe leans more into Definitely. I mean, surprisingly enough, if you look at our numbers the last two years, we actually haven't been that bad as far as giving up home runs. So big time credit to my pitching staff the last two years. Um, what we kind of look for this past year and really the last two years as a whole is strikeouts. You know, obviously, mm -hmm. if you're striking them out, then that's one less play your defense has to make. But also in Gastonia, that's one less chance of the ball getting, you know, wind carried over the fence. So Last year, I think we may have actually even broke that record as far as strikeouts per nine innings as a pitching staff. So that was definitely a concentrated effort we made as well. Um, you know, you look at guys like Zach Moore, a lot of our starters, um, they are all like 10, 11, 12 strikeouts per nine innings. I mean, it was awesome to have, and it makes it a little bit easier on our defense. You know, you look look at last year, this is something that I don't think a lot of people noticed. The first month of our season last year, we had one of the worst defenses of all time. Um, from a filling percentage standpoint, because we were very offensive heavy over the course of the year, you know, we kind of pivoted to a little bit more athleticism, but a lot of that comes with your pitching staff. You know, if you know, you're not going to be able to play good defense, then you better either be getting weak contact that your infield command plays or striking people out. And thankfully last year, our pitching staff did a good job of both. Honestly, that one did slip under my radar. So if you're going to, if you're going to have a team that might suck at something for a while, it's always a good idea to just, Coast that under the radar, maybe hit it with a headline of some power. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's what I've got, man. I mean, I know you and I will probably be talking soon enough, uh, whether it's about, you know, baseball or NASCAR. But um, if 
I I don't have anything that would be of any interest to probably anyone outside of me and you. So I will give this back to Nick if you want to uh, close this out and give him the usual opportunities here. So we appreciate you coming on, Brady. As is tradition around here, we're going to give you five minutes at the end to promote anything you want to promote, say anything you want to say, circle back to a conversation we already had, but we didn't totally uh, wrap up or, you know, uh, talk about something that we didn't get to because I know this was a little all over the map, but it was very fun and I enjoyed it and I think it was informative. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me on. Um, first of all, I would like to give a few shout outs. Obviously, like we said, my coaching staff, yeah. um, Goose, Chucky Ball Game, and uh, Ian McKinney, they were awesome last year and I think we're going to be getting the gang back together for this year. So I know a lot of our team is very excited about that. Um, obviously, our new ownership group, Zoyer Sports, led by Andy Kaufman. I mean, we've talked about the hope and excitement we have now. And I think uh, not just Gastonia, but the whole league's going to get to, you know, experience that firsthand here in a couple months. Um, as far as conversations go, one of the things I did want to circle back to that we didn't touch on a whole lot outside of the whole Moneyball concept. You know, it's funny. I think a lot of people nowadays kind of bring up Moneyball because obviously the movie was, you know, a theatrical. You know, yeah. they emphasized some of the wrong points and left out guys like you know Tejada and that amazing pitching staff they had. But one of the things I think Moneyball still applies to today. Granted, everybody, especially at the affiliated level, they have access to all the same numbers. So it's not like you're gonna, you know, be coming up with stats necessarily that somebody else couldn't also do. But I think kind of like what we talked about with our speed and our power we've had in the past is look for loopholes, look for ways to find, you know, advantages um, in your league. I know I've had a couple guys that are trying to, you know, do baseball ops and things like that at the any ball level. And they're like, you know, what advice would you give? And that would be it. You know, look to see what the tendencies are of playoff teams in your league. Look to see more often than not what those teams are shooting for, because more often than not, you know, there's there's some pretty clear patterns. And uh, I think if you're able to find those advantages, it's kind of the new the new version of Moneyball. It's it's finding the the things that everybody else is looking over. And I think that's what I wake up and enjoy doing, you know, every day. That's what makes me love my job. So shout out to that. Yeah, finding the needle in the haystack challenges the uh, is the excitement. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, man. Awesome. So well, uh, you got tickets on sale yet, or is that coming up? Uh, yeah, check our website. I think a lot of that stuff, if it's not already up there, they should be talking about it. So, um, GastoniaBaseballClub.com basically should have everything you need, schedule, tickets, season tickets, all that type of stuff. So check it out. Awesome. And we'll uh, hook them up with, uh, once, once that changes, that web address changes, uh, we'll be sure to hook them up with it. But I, I do like the black, white, and gray thing. I don't know if that's just temporary or maybe it'll be a longer part of the thing, but kind of a vibe, honestly. So we'll no, see what's I'm, up. I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to push you. Yeah, no, I think I think it's clean for sure. We're we're happy to have those colors this year. Oh man, Brady, thank you for coming on, man. I was excited about this. I've been excited about it honestly since I started co-hosting on here. I knew I had to get you on, so I'm glad that we we're able to finally uh, avoid the legal loopholes. Uh, we uh, had to wait out and, and get you on here because it's always good talking to you, whether it's uh, in, in like midnight DMs about obscure baseball players or if it's on the podcast. Yeah, no, like I said, thanks, thank you all for having me. I think it's been a long time coming. It's such a crazy concept to just get to talk to media and, you know, talk, promote your team. So who would have thought? But uh, here we are. And uh, no, you guys got my number. So looking forward to hearing from you anytime. You'll regret that, man. Yeah, look forward to having you back on again when we get close to the year. Once again, just want to thank Brady for hopping on the show. Uh, we were originally going to do the ALPB South review, but I think that's going to get pushed for next week. 
because we're already at about two hours of showtime. So I don't think we need to go any further than that. I'll drop the plugs and we'll get out of here. Uh, Ryan stuff at Indie Ball Nation. My stuff at Indie Ball Pod on Twitter. Indie Ball Report everywhere else. Expect some content from me next week. And we're going to try to shoot for another interview next week. But I do have to get that scheduled. So there is that. Likewise, uh, if you want some extra little bit of bonus content stay tuned till after the music on this episode because i've included our thoughts on the josh altman trade and by ours i mean mine brady's and ryan's thoughts because we found out about this trade in the middle of an interview which was fun so you can go ahead and stay tuned for that it's about a minute or so long but it's kind of fun so yeah with that said uh Until next time, don't forget to play ball. Before I, I'm sorry, I'm also sorry for the fact that Josh Altman just got traded, by the way. uh, Josh Altman just got traded, by the way. That's what distracted me, was the DM I just got. To where? Are you going to probably to, oh, no to the dock counts. They already announced oh, it. Jack, big move, my wow. man. Big dog. Brady, what are you gonna do after this week? What are you gonna what, what's your move after the pod? Um yeah, I mean I don't think I can match that move, but uh no, Jack's he's enjoy listening to him talk the other day. You know, this past year we had a couple big trades that we made and I've got nothing but respect for him. He uh he does a really good job over there and I I think that's another great move for them. I mean, you see Altman, he's an MVP caliber guy. Um, he's He's been good in any ball. He's been good in affiliated. I think he crushed it this winter in Australia. So that's a huge move. I mean, that's breaking news right there. Yeah, Altman for Voight. Wow. Breaking news on yeah, the podcast a, 24 hours before it goes live. That's cool. That's cool. I'll be honest. But, hey, I'll take it. Um, so sorry for my refocus here. Um, yeah.